Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. Let's see. When I think of sledding, one picture comes to mind, and that's Clark W. Griswold going to set the new land speed record. Um, that is not going to happen next week, right? I want to hear about any injuries. Just want to hear about uh, fun time. And uh, I, kn I know I heard all of you cheering in your heart when she said that winter is coming back. February and March, we're going to have some good snow. Hey, welcome to the bridge. If no one has said hi to you yet, let me be the first. Uh, hopefully I'm not, but my name is JJ, and uh, we're just, uh, I'm always stoked when I get to meet new people. And uh, thank you for spending your Sunday morning with us as we, uh, we kind of like to think that we stand shoulder to shoulder, all facing the same direction in this place. Uh, we're all looking together as one people to Jesus for his love and direction, and then at, to each other for fellowship and friendship. And, and uh, before we get into a message, and I got a good one for us, um, I just want to talk um, something that is one of my most favorite things to do. And uh, we like to um, take fa young families with their kids. People will bring their kids and, um, and uh, we, we come and we stand with the family and we pray for them and pray for their child. It's called baby dedication. Maybe you've heard about it. But it's something that is a, is a cool tradition. And um, this is not a, um, like a baptizing our kids. We, we leave baptism um, for each individual. It's a, it's a personal choice for someone to say, I want to surrender my life the way Jesus surrendered his life to the will of the Father. And he uh, died on the cross, was buried, and rose again. When you get baptized, you're saying, I identify with Jesus' death, uh, dying to self, being raised in new life. So baptism is something I always encourage people. Um, if you've made that step of faith, let's get baptized. As a matter of fact, uh, we'll have a, one of our baptism services coming up here before too long, um, which will be really good. But baby dedication is a chance. It's, it's not as much, I would say, for the baby as it is for us as parents. Because we have this heart that God... If you're a parent in this room, let me, I'm going to expose us all for a second and tell everyone who's not a parent in this room. When you become a parent, especially for the first time, you see this child and a few things hit you. One of them is, oh my gosh, I love you so much, I would die for you right now. And I don't even know you that well yet, we just met. And there's this other sense of, holy cow, I have no idea what I'm doing. And you know what? You're not supposed to know what you're doing. We're supposed to learn along the way. Dedicating our children is a way of saying, Lord, you created this child. So, Mark, Maddie, Eli, why don't you guys come on up here? You guys give them a hand as they cruise up here. This is Mark and Maddie Duncan. They have some family in town as well. And this is Eli. What's Eli's? I'm going to give everybody his full name. Eli J. Dunnigan. And he is a stud. And we match. <laughs> <laughs> One's, as, as we come from the 
from the womb so we go back. Our hair, it, it grows and then it, it goes away. Okay, but there's the sense. You have a big family, right? Yes. Yes, it, it's an understatement. He's got a very big family. And we, you have big family as well? Smaller. But there's this sense, I remember when, as I was getting older, I looked at my parents. I'm doing things now. I remember, I'm my dad's age when I was, you know, and I remember looking at my dad and I was like, here's what I, my dad knows everything. And I become my dad's age and I'm like, oh my gosh, if he was anything like me, he didn't really know all that much. (laughs) He was sort of trying to figure it out. And as we get older, we realize there are certain things like, man, I really need God's help in parenting as one of them. There's this whole other person in the world that God knows better than anyone else. And yet out of all the people in all the world, in all of the times, God has entrusted Eli to you two. And then he gives us certain things in the scripture to say stuff like, raise him up in the way that he shall go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's kind of like the word potential. You, you can look at it in a way that's very stressful. Like, it's up to me to not mess up what God wants to do. I don't think that's what God wants. I think it's to be look at it as potential, like God sees so much. He has made Eli in a certain way, and Mark and Maddie's heart is that they would partner with God, and they would see his potential, see his giftings, see areas that he needs help with instruction and coaching as he gets older, see what is the best way to discipline and bring instruction. God knows this kid better than anyone, and their heart is that they would see how God has put their son together, and they would raise him to be the man that God has called him to be. It's kind of the coolest thing ever for parents to stand up and say, God, thank you for this child. Now we dedicate him to you. Help us to raise him in the way that he should go. It's pretty sweet, right? So what we want to do is we want to pray for this family, okay? Now, what I asked for the reason we do it for the church is this isn't just something we pray for them and they're like, good luck. But as long as they are planted in this house, they are our family. And it is, we are dedicating Eli, but also this family, and we are making a commitment as their church family to walk with them. Because we can't parent for them, but we can be with them. You know what I mean? That's called being a family, a body, a fellowship. So I want to pray for you guys and pray for you, and you're doing so good, buddy. Yeah. Man, those blue eyes. So would you join me in praying? And if, and if you like, um, you can bow your head, keep your eyes open. You could extend a hand of blessing. Um, let's pray for them. Lord, we thank you for Eli J. Dungan. We thank you for Mark. We thank you for Maddie. We thank you, Lord, that you have brought them to Bellingham, that we have gotten to know them. We are continuing to walk with them. And we, when I see this family, I just see... Um, I see joy, I see faith, and I see love. We pray for this little boy right here. We ask, Lord, for your blessing to be on him. We pray that you would keep him safe, physically safe. Um, And as Mark and Maddie have shared that some words that you have just given them as they look at, at Eli, they are praying 
Lord, would you make him strong? Maybe they see a strength that you have given him. So, Lord, we do pray that you make him strong, that he would have a strong love, that as he gets older, he would have a strong curiosity, that he would be even strong on other people's behalf, that he would be a man of God. Would you bless this little boy? Let him to just have so much fun and explore the world and keep him safe. He is such a blessing to his family, and dude, you're a blessing to this world. We're, the world's a better place with you in it, buddy. So God, we thank you for this family. We ask your blessing upon them as they go forth. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, amen, amen. Okay, give them a hand, you guys. Yeah, love you, man. Okay. Yeah. Bring the babies. I remember doing that with our boys. And you do it over and over and over, by the way. Lord, you gave me this child. They're a blessing. Right, Ollie? Hey, would you guys um, open up your Bibles? I want to share a message with you this morning. Uh, Mark chapter 10 and verse 1. We're going to look at one verse. We're going to look at a lot of verses, but I want to jump off from there. Uh, and as you're, you're doing that, let me pray for this, this part of, for our morning. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this time to be together. Thank you for that awesome stuff that we were reminded as we were singing to you. And Lord, now we, um, we come to the part of our morning where uh, we really open ourselves up to what I think can be supernatural. We could open up a book, but yet there is an author of these scriptures that we read Someone who is not just the author of this book, but the author of life as we know it. The air we breathe and the gravity that holds us perfectly to the ground and the, the, the rhythms of this world as the sun comes up and goes down. That is who you are, Lord. And what we're asking in faith is that there would be these, these moments of connection from you to us. That we would know that we are not just floating around space on our own, but there is a plan and purpose and a designer behind all of it. We're reminded of the miraculous ways that you work when we see stuff like um, things like these little kids. The, the Eli's of this world, he's just sitting there and he's so small and petite yet perfect and, and beautiful and wonderfully made by you. So Lord, we open up your word and, and we're just asking simply, would you speak to us? Could we know you more? Would we be strengthened in our faith? Could questions of our heart, would they be maybe answered in new ways? And maybe you could encourage us in some new ways, Lord. So we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been looking at Jesus' rhythms, things that Jesus does, things that Jesus did with regularity, because it's important for us to see, uh, to look at the person of Jesus today, we're going to look at another one. Like I said before, there are three things 
that it says specifically about Jesus as he did often or as was his custom. Uh, he was in synagogue and temple, we talked about. Going to church, he was with people uh, in that aspect. He withdrew to pray. We talked about that the past couple of weeks. And then this one, it says in Mark chapter 10, verse 1. It says, and he left there, and he went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and again the crowds gathered to him, and again, as was his custom, he taught them. Now, there's nothing special about this verse. It's a transition verse. Jesus was in this place, and this was, and then he left that place. It's this transition verse. It's this journey verse. And then he went on a journey, and on his journey, people came up to him, and then it just says, and then Jesus, like he always did, as was his rhythm, as was his custom, as was his habit, and Jesus being true to his nature, like he always did, he taught them. He stopped, he taught these people. See, everything Jesus did was for a reason. There was nothing that wasn't for a reason. Everything he did had purpose. The disciples didn't always get it. A lot of times they would be like, why did you do that? Why are we going here? They asked why a lot. So when you ask why God, you're not alone. A lot of people have asked why God. There's always purpose behind. He doesn't do things on purpose, but he brings purpose from all things. The reason, that the, the purpose that Jesus can bring from all things is to teach us. One of Jesus' names, one of the main things that he was called in the Jewish culture, if you read the Gospels and follow around, he get, oftentimes he gets called rabbi. Rabbi is a Jewish term. We don't use it uh, in our culture unless you're Jewish and you go to synagogue still. The teacher would be a rabbi, but rabbi wasn't just someone that you taught Excuse me, it was a, actually a term of uh, an authority, means master. It's the same, it's the same term that you would use, be used of um, an employer, someone who has authority over you in life. And it's also something that you would, you would um, subject yourself someone under. So that not just your boss, but someone that you really respect, you want to follow, you want to know them, your mentor, your boss, teacher. It's a term of honor. And that's what I want for you and for me in life, that when we look to Jesus, that we would come to a place where we put ourselves under his authority, under his care, and into this apprenticeship that we've been talking about. When Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me what he's saying is i want you to partner with me i want you to come under my teaching but he's not saying that he just stands back and pushes us we're yoked up together like two horse or two oxen before they plow a field you're side by side so he wants us to walk with him and the whole purpose is he calls discipleship or apprenticeship it's to teach us
So that's what I want to talk about this morning. My title of my message is this, The Ways Jesus Teaches Us. The Ways Jesus Teaches Us. It's important, and you know that there's not just one way. Maybe you'll be reminded of that this morning, or maybe that'll be new to you. But Jesus used multi, uses multiple teaching methods. And here's the deal. The reason he does it is because he isn't just trying to teach you stuff. God isn't just trying to teach you stuff that you know. He's trying to turn you into a person. So he doesn't just teach, he transforms. That's what God does. It's not just more knowledge. He's actually turning you into someone. The Bible says that you are turning, becoming more like the likeness of Jesus himself. Now, it's not on your own strength. It's the work of the Holy Spirit through the word of God, through the people of God. But Jesus is teaching us and he is giving us his character. We are becoming like him. So how does Jesus teach us? I want to look at three ways Jesus teaches us. The first one is this. He goes first. Jesus always, the second one is he reveals it bit by bit. And the third one is he tells it like it is. So let's look at the first one. He goes first. One of the main ways Jesus teaches and Jesus taught, when you read through the Gospels, when you look at the life of Jesus, was by example. One of the greatest ways to teach is by example. It makes me think of coaching. I coached snowboarding for a long time. I was never a good instructor. An instructor takes someone who's never snowboarded before, and they're able to take this movement, and they can put it into words. It's amazing. I would watch and listen to somebody who maybe wasn't even as good as me or my friends, but they could take these mechanics and put them into words. They'd be like, you want to stand like this and do this and act like you're, and they could put it in, I'm like, oh, that makes sense. If I did that, I think that would actually work. I would go like this. When it comes to, I'm like, well, just do this. And I would stand up and go, I didn't know how to put it into words, but I could do it. But with coaching, I was really good because if you knew the mechanics and you knew that I could say stuff now when you come off, you really have to get your hips over this thing and take your shoulder like this and really it's this more of a picture movement instead of breaking it down. That's why when I need to do something, work on my truck or something, you know where I go to, to learn? YouTube. God bless YouTube. God bless the good parts of YouTube. Um, I'm a visual learner. I learn from example. What were some of Jesus' examples? There are so many. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that you, it can't list all of Jesus' examples. It says, if you list, tried to list everything Jesus did, didn't say everything he taught, Everything he preached says, if you tried to list everything Jesus did, John says it, the last verse in the book of John says, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Meaning Jesus did a lot. There was a lot of example that he left by the things that he did. So I'm not going to try to point them out. 
But as you walk with Jesus in your life, you're going to see more and more. Just know that Jesus teaches by example. Let me just give you a couple. Where Jesus was from. You know where Jesus was from? He wasn't from where the highest ranking rabbis came from. Jerusalem with the best schools and all the stuff. He was from Podunk, Styx, Alger. He was from the, the Algiers and the, the Conways and the in the, the beautiful places, but they're the no place special on a map of where special people come from. Do you know what I'm saying? As a matter of fact, when, when, when the disciples, the first ones, started recognizing Jesus and thought that he was the Messiah, this is what they said. Come and see this man that we have found. He is the Messiah. Someone goes, where is he from? He, they go, Nazareth, and they go, <laughs> Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Jesus purposefully in his providence and in God's sovereignty brings forth the one that would be the teacher to all teachers from a place that is nothing special on the map. What is the lesson to be learned there? Well, I saw a movie about it not too long ago. I love it. It's called Ratatouille. And in this movie, Chef Cousteau says something along the lines like, a great cook can come from anywhere. These things that resonate with our hearts that it doesn't actually matter where you're from it matters what God does with it Jesus is example you don't have to be from someplace special I put in my notes I don't even know where it fits but I just want to share it with you God can do as much with dropouts as he can with doctorates what he requires is availability what he requires is someone who is open to his leading he can use all people Look at the 12 that he had. Look at the women that were with him. Look at what they had been through. Jesus' example is one of my favorites. So that's where he was from. Look at another one. Let's look at how Jesus treated people. There's this account where Jesus is at dinner. with. Um, it, it almost has like this, after church at the pastor's house lunch vibe when you read it. There was this religious leader, this Pharisee, and he invited Jesus over for dinner. And then kind of all these people went, and back in the day, you could go and watch. So you didn't have to watch someone's live stream. You could literally go and stand in the background, and you could watch the important people having a meal. So this, this religious leader, this, this you know sort of pastor of the day, invites Jesus over, and Jesus goes... And while they're there, this woman kind of barges in, and she's visibly broken, hurting. And she walks up to Jesus, and unashamed, she doesn't know how to church. She doesn't know how to do all the stuff. She, she just knows that Jesus is there, and he can help. And she falls at his feet, and she pours ointment on her feet, and she's wiping his feet with her hair. And as a sign of, like, I love you, can you help? This unspoken you know, the place of deep emotion in our bodies, uh, pain and hurt and sadness and sorrow, it's not the same place in your brain where language comes from. That's why you can't always tell people how you're feeling. Tell me how you're feeling. I don't know. She was just broken and she was worshiping. And the religious leaders, it says, Jesus reading their thoughts, they're saying, if Jesus only knew what kind of woman this is, there is no way he would do this. And then they're, they're judging her. And Jesus accepts her worship. 
and he calls them out. That's how Jesus treats people. He loves people. He's not worried about brokenness. He, he, he says, come to me if you thirst, and I will satisfy your soul. There's another one. When Jesus, it's, it, this uh, is in John 13, verse, starting in verse 12. When he had washed their feet, the last supper, bef- the last time Jesus ate and had communion, and that's why when we take communion, we read this, this story. But the last supper that Jesus had with his disciples are sitting around the table. This is, like, it's nighttime. By the next night, 24 hours later, Jesus will already have been buried in a tomb. And they're sitting around, and they're eating dinner, and it says, and Jesus got up from the table when he had, um, yeah, so he got up from the table, took off his robe. He's their rabbi, their teacher. They know who he is. Takes off his robe. He just kind of has like a towel around his waist. And then he goes, and he performs this. He washes their feet. And it's a way of serving. It's what the house, uh, is low man work, the lowest of low man work. You would wash the people's house to show them honor. And Jesus is doing it. So when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments, garments, he resumed his place at the table. And he said to them, do you understand what I have done? This is an example. You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right. Because I am. But if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. Verse 16, truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Jesus taught from example. Now, you can take this and you go all sorts of different ways with it. You could literally wash someone else's feet. That's cool. I don't think that that's the only meaning of what's talking about here because he says, do you see how I have served you? So shall you serve other people. So there's nothing wrong with washing someone's feet, especially if they wear chacos a lot <laughs> or their tevas are making a comeback. Um, but this is the deal. They wore sandals and they didn't have cars. They walked everywhere. So your feet stunk real bad. And the way you sat at a dinner table and ate wasn't with your feet hiding under a table. You laid on the side like this and your feet were kind of next to the person next to you. And so that's why they would use anointing oil for people's hair so it didn't stink or it smelled nicer. And they would wash their feet as a sign of, let me help you, let me, let me, let me clean you up. But the feet were dirty. So it was a way of, of serving each, each other. Jesus taught by doing, and we learn from observing. That's his idea. When he says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I will make you become something. That's what he means when he says, take my yoke and learn from me. Walk with me. Watch. So I'd like to, for the first point, just close it by saying this. 
When you read the Bible, watch how Jesus lived. You're going to read a lot about what he said, but look and see what he did. You'll be blown away. It rubs off on us. Peter watched all this happen, and later on after Jesus went to heaven, there's this verse about Peter and John, and it says this, Now when people saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were uneducated, common men, it astonished them. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. You know, this is a life verse for me. Life first just means something that you read it and it just kind of hits you and you're like, I want that for me. Now, when they perceived that they were just a regular old dude, but there was something about them, they just recognized, man, they, that person spent a lot of time with Jesus. Not, not a lot of time just listening to what Jesus said, but with him in participation. Jesus goes first. He teaches us by his example. The second thing he does is he reveals things bit by bit. Bit by bit. I put um, peels one layer at a time. It's kind of like parenting. Mark and Maddie, you guys will have many conversations where you try to say, should we... Should we bring that up right now or should we let some time pass? Do I need to make a big deal about this thing? Sometimes the answer is, yeah, we need to go over that right now. Sometimes it's like, no, we need to let it go. The idea is we're playing a long game with our children. We want to raise them up in, in the way that God has for them when they are old. Because what's the idea? Not just that we're going to get them to 18 and be like, Whew. peace. But the idea is that they will continue the legacy and we will impart good things and then they will be good parents and then they will be good parents. We're not just doing it for here and now. It's this, it's this long thing. So we, some, we do things bit by bit. Dads, we need to be reminded sometimes. It doesn't all have to be fixed right now. Or uh, whoever, you know, has that thing going on where you're like, no, we got to deal with this. Sometimes you need to, sometimes you don't. Jesus had a way of doing things bit by bit. In the Bible, you read about these things called parables. You guys ever heard of parables before? It'll, it says, for, for instance, Mark chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, it says, Again, he began to teach beside the sea. Okay, so as was his custom, he taught. Sometimes he teaches from example. Now he's going to teach. And it says, and a very large crowd, large crowd gathered to him so that he got into a boat and sat, on the, sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, so go to Mark chapter 4 and you can read all these parables. And then skip down to the end of, of Mark chapter 4. And then it says this in verse 33, with many such parables. So we get an example list. We don't get the exhaustive list of every parable. It sort of it makes it sound like, and if we had a list of every parable Jesus taught, 
we would, the libraries couldn't contain those. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them, listen to this, as they were able to hear it, bit by bit. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. What is a parable? We're told in the Bible there's about 40 of them. Some of them have repetition when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's about 40 different, you know how many big time sermons Jesus has that are recorded for us in the text? Like, I didn't look it up, but there's the Sermon on the Mount, there's the Olivet Discourse, any other pastors in the room, am I missing any big ones? There's like, there's just a few. These, these examples, so many. Parables, so many. These bit-by-bit teachings. Parable is an, uh, an easy-to-understand easy story with a real profound truth. It's something that is laid next to something else, and you compare them, and the idea is that you would look at the two and be like, whoa. Little lessons along the way. Modern-day parables. They're not in the Bible, but last night when we were coming home from the mountain, did you guys see that sunset? It wasn't even the sunset. It was when the sun broke under the clouds. Let me just tell you, God's a Denver Broncos fan. That's why sunsets are orange. Right? No one's there with that? I just can't. I should have. We'll scratch that one from the recording. Um the sun broke under the clouds and it lit up. Gosh, man, it almost brought a tear to my eye. It was so beautiful. But it's those, sun, it's those moments when the sun peaks under the clouds and everything lights up that you know that you're not alone. That's like a... It's the watching the birds of the air. Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. Um... They get up in the morning, they do their thing, they lay down, they neither toil nor spin, and God takes care of them. It's like watching the birds and just being reminded that, like, God's got you too. It's the laying to rest of someone that you love deeply in your family and grieving and then just remembering that this is temporary. It's these, it's these, these things that happen in normal life, in regular life, that, that remind us of a deeper thing. That's, we had, they're all over the Bible. They're, they're parables. They're teachings. We do this with our children. We do this with each other. It's what Jesus does to remind us that there's a way of man and there's a way of God, and he wants us to know that he is not far away, but he is near. These are the little lessons along the way. Don't neglect the little lessons along the way. The little things when you read and you're not blown away and you can't memorize scripture and all the stuff that's happened, but there's just a sense in your heart that God is with you. There's just a sense in your heart that your relationships are important. There's just a remembering that your job, whether you like it or not, your role there is vital, not just to you, but to like the kingdom of God. Whether you're in second grade 
going to be in, you know, kindergarten one day, like all of these things, these are the little lessons. Your life, it's, it, it's bigger than you think. He reveals things bit by bit. And I'll bring this to our last one, but it's, here it is. And then I, I want to give you guys um, a cool thing to close. The last way Jesus teaches us, he tells it how it is. I put it last because a lot of us think it's first and only. We think that it says he taught by proclaiming, proclaim the gospel. This word proclaim, it means to preach or to be a herald like a paper boy back in the day. Extra, extra, read all about it. He's heralding the news. That's to proclaim the gospel. And this is what most people think of when they think of Jesus as a teacher. I think, especially if you grow up in church and you hear tons of Sunday sermons, Sunday after Sunday and year after year, you think that maybe that's how Jesus always taught. But it's actually what's recorded the least of what he did. But he still did it. 20 time, 26 times it says that Jesus, that there was a proclamation of uh, something that he proclaimed about 40 parables and many personal conversations with people at different places in life but it says for us in Matthew chapter 9 verse 35 and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching so here's that word again Jesus is a teacher teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. There were proclamations. Jesus had lots of them. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus would tell it like it is. So it's not that he just served people, he just had personal conversations, or he just did hard truth. He did them all. He always knew, the, one of my favorite Proverbs says, um, a word fitly spoken, like the right word at the right time, it's like, a, it's like an engagement ring. It's like a beautiful gem set in a setting of gold. Like the right word at the right time is just an amazing thing. And Jesus has the right word at the right time. And sometimes the right word is a hard truth, a proclamation. Jesus came to save sinners, Paul said. And then he said, and I'm the worst one of all. But he's, pro he's like, that which I received, I proclaim. Jesus made the proclamation, the kingdom of God is at hand. There is something happening. And he showed by the way he lived and the conversations he had. But the truth was, this kingdom that we, this world that we live in, it's not all that's happening. There's something else that is coexisting at the same time that is eternal. It's not temporary. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. These are proclamations. These are hard um, gospel, good news, truths that Jesus gives.
He says this, in this world you will face many trials. But be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. He makes these proclamations. Sometimes when Jesus tells it like it is, it hurts a little bit. But that's why we say we want to give the word of God, the truth of God's word, but we want to give the word of God with the heart of God. Jesus spoke these things to people. He told Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you must be born again. That's a proclamation. But the way in which he gave it was full of love, full of relationship, full of... Sometimes we want to stand back and proclaim. Repent. We want to throw these things. Now, there's a repentance that needs to happen. Jesus says, I want you to have enough faith that you would lay down your life in submission to his way, not because you're afraid, but because you're loved. For the loving kind, his loving kindness leads us to repentance. I'd like to close this morning with a story where we can see all three of these things at play. Okay? It's in John chapter 4, and it's really in story form because it's a conversation that Jesus had with someone. And I love this because it reminds me of me. It reminds me of people in my family that I love. It reminds me of friends that I've had. It reminds me of some people that I've met in here. It's just a real person that Jesus talked to. So in John chapter 4, I'm going to start in verse 4. I'm just going to read for a while, and you'll see it reads real easy. Um, So check this out. John chapter 4. Starting in verse 4. Actually, start in verse 3. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee. So another journey. He left this region. He's going to go to this region. And then it says in verse 4, and he had to pass through Samaria. Now, pause real quick. Samaria was like, in a Jews, Jewish person's mind, it, they, it was a place they avoided like the plague. It wasn't because of the country. It looked just like their country. It was from the, because of the people. There was racial tension. So much so that there were derogatory slurs and names that people called each other. So you avoided it. It was actually the shortest path from this region to this region where they wanted to go. But because people would avoid Samaria like the plague, they would cross the Jordan River, go up the east side of the river to skip this whole region, and then they would cross. But it added time to their travels. But because they didn't want to go through the place that they didn't want to go, they would go around it. Okay? So traveling back and forth was common. And it says right there, but Jesus had to go through Samaria. So already his example is at play with the disciples. Because they're just like, ah, oh, probably. And he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called uh, Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. This is a place with a lot of heritage. Also a lot of hurt. So Jesus tired as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the six hours, about noon, midday, hot, 
part of the day. And a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, may I have a drink? For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Pause. That's in parentheses. It was like added later. But imagine being Jesus' disciples just for a second. Okay, we're with Jesus. He's our rabbi. We follow him, he says. He'll make us fishers of men, he says. We got to go through Samaria, he says. We get to this well. He's thirsty, he says. Hey, why don't you boys go into town? Or boys, there were some gals involved. His crew, go into town and get some food. So now they have to go into town to, to people that they don't want to be there. Culture shock. They don't want to be there. They're probably not wanted there. They're trying to figure out what's open for lunch. It was very awkward. It was very hard. So he sent him into town to buy food. And then the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman? And not just a woman, a woman of Samaria. For the Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. It's not that they didn't like each other. They did not deal with each other. How many people in this world right now make a point to never cross paths? We have people in our small 100,000-person city who make a point in their lives to not cross paths with other people. It's human nature. We think that person doesn't look like me, that person doesn't vote like me, that person doesn't, all that stuff. Jesus made a point by his example to cross some boundaries. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, here's where the parables come in. Listen to these things he lays down. If you knew the gift of God and who is it that and, and who it is that is saying to you, may I have a drink, you would have asked him and he would give you living water. It's almost like mystical. And the woman, she's like, what? How are you going to give me living water? She says, you have nothing to draw with. So she's literal. How are you going to give me special water? You can't even get water out of the well. Where is it that you will get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself as his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman says, sir, give me this water always. So I don't want to have to be thirsty so I don't have to come to this, this well to drink. By the way, you know why she was at the well at noon? It was the only time that she could go there without being harassed by people. And we'll see why in a second. She was avoiding everyone. She was broken to the point of so much shame that she would go and get water when she didn't have to deal with anyone. She was at the point where she had given up on people because they had given up on her. And who was waiting for her? Jesus. And then he starts talking about the way, this, this way you're going to be thirsty again. I have a way you're not going to be thirsty again. He's peeling away layers. He's talking to her. The woman said, I'll take some of this water. And then Jesus says to her, Go call your husband and then go get your husband and then come back here to me. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Probably like this. I, ha I have no husband. Then Jesus said, 
You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. Like the dude you're sleeping with now, he's not your husband. What you have said is true. And then the woman says, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. (laughs) He seems to know some stuff about her. And he was like, you're right, you don't. You know why? Because he knows everything about her because he's God. And now he has some proclamations, some hard truths he's going to say to her. But he's going to say it in a way that is full of love, full of grace, full of partnership of wills. The woman said, I perceive that you are a prophet. Then she goes into church stuff. I've had this happen before. I'll meet someone. They're super drunk. This has happened before, like in in times of snowboarding or as people get to know me, you know. And then it comes out that I'm a Christian, especially when it comes out that I'm a pastor. Um, Sometimes people change the way they act. You know, they're like, oh, I want to go to church. I had someone tell me one time, JJ, I want to go to church. They were really drunk. I want to go to church. I was like, sweet, you call me in the morning. It was Saturday night. You call me in the morning. I'm like, okay. This was years ago when we lived in Breckenridge. You call me. God was doing things in his life, peeling away layers. He's like, but I want to go to the church where you eat the crackers. I was like, eat the cracker. He was talking about communion. Like, there's something in me. When he's like, I want to drink the juice, and I want to eat the crackers. I'm like, all right. Texted him the next morning. He was asleep, obviously. Um, but these are the, the conversations. All of a sudden, people, they start showing how they know a little bit about church. She goes right here. She goes, oh, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers used to worship on this mountain. Uh, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Now, she might even be talking about things that have kept her away. I don't even know where to go. Our people say we worship here. Your people say you worship there. Some people say they're a Methodist. Some people say they're a Baptist. The church is a non-denominational church. What is the right way? Right? So we don't, we don't have dealings with one another. They do it differently. Than we do. But Jesus said to her, woman, which is a, a term of respect, by the way, she wouldn't have been given one of those probably in a long time. He says, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. It's come through the Jewish people. But the hour is coming and now is here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Proclamation. And then the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, the one that is called the Christ, the Savior, the Anointed One, the Promised One. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Another layer. And then Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Actually, if you look at this in the way it's originally written, this is, for some of you, you'll think this is really cool. In the Old Testament, when when God calls Moses... 
and he goes, Moses, I want you to go do this. And Moses says, well, when I go to them and, I, and they say to me, who sent you? What shall I say? What's your, what shall I say is your name? And God says, you tell them I am sent me to you. The God who not was or will be, but the God who is, the all-encompassing, the, the I am. This, it's a rad name for God. And so there was always this, this I am that comes up over and over in Scripture. And then Jesus says, literally says to her, the one who is speaking to you, I am. It was like, mic drop, yeah. like this, this, this proclamation that it was like transformation for her life. Layers peeled back, conversationally speaking, Jesus' example then the disciples come back and they marvel that he was talking to a woman. They're just like, oh gosh, what is he doing? Says, uh, so the woman left her water jar, went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. It's a strange thing because she didn't say, come see a man who is the forgiver of sins, who is the Messiah she just says, come, saw, some, come see someone who knows me for who I truly am and who loves me. She was blown away. You know that she had been used much of her life. She was looking for love, and the only way she knew to receive love was to give, her, give people what she thought they wanted. Several broken relationships, and now she goes into the city that she was trying to avoid and she's the one that leads all these people back to Jesus. She said, could this be the Christ? Then they went out of town and were coming to him. Now skip down, and this is where we hang it up. Because Jesus gets sort of um, metaphorical again, and they were like, and then he comes back to it, and he says, Verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Are you a Bible underliner, highlighter? Would you circle that verse? Because what if, what if the lesson in that verse, the, the small truth that God wants to lay down beside your life is this. Many people would hear your testimony and they would come to faith in Jesus. You know that's what God says is the role of his followers, right? He says, you are the light of the world. A city that is on a hill. Therefore, let your light shine in such a way that people will see who you are and bit by bit, layer by layer, over time, they will glorify, not you, but the Lord who is in heaven. It says, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Verse 42, they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. I know it's a long story, but I wanted to share it because I think it's important that we see all three. I want to be part of a church where you can belong before you behave. Where you don't have to know how the all the stuff to come. 
I want to be in a church where people are in different places in their faith. That's why we need each other. I want to be in a church where people are in process. Whether this is your first time here or you've been here forever, we're all in process. None of us have arrived. And if you ever feel like you arrived, let me give you a proclamation hard truth. That's pride. And the only thing Jesus ever got really mad about, ever, was self-righteousness. He had hard, the hardest truths to say for those who put themselves above others. And he had the kindest, most gentle way of speaking to those who are really broken and looking to God for help. I want to pastor a church like that. I want to be a part of a church like that. We don't shed away from speaking truth that's in Scripture, but it's done in a way and in an atmosphere where there's always room for the skeptic. There's always room for the broken. There's always room for those who don't know how to do the church thing, because I didn't. I kind of still think I don't sometimes. I just want to be like a regular person before the Lord and be in a group of other regular people. I want to be like this woman who just learned to share what I know and watch it make an impact in other people's lives. That's what we want to be at the, at the bridge, people who will just come and see, and then maybe over time we'll come and drink, and then maybe after time we'll go and tell. I love this woman's example. So let's pray. Let's sing this last song to the Lord. Father, we thank you for today. And this is, this is our prayer, Lord, at the end of this. I know it's your desire to teach us. You're a teacher. That's what you do. You, do, you teach in several ways. But your desire always is the same, that we would really know you for you. Not just a lot about you, but know you. That we would be real with you and that we would share who we are with others. So Lord, this morning I just want to pray over our church that we would always, always have the tone and approach in our hearts that we would be learners. You're always wanting to teach. Lord, we want to learn from you because your way is gentle and you are kind. And even when you lead us in hard things, you do it in a way that is never condemning, but it is loving. So we don't have to be scared of the way you teach. We can be excited about it and we can welcome it. So Lord, we love you. We thank you for this morning. We sing this song to you. In Jesus' name, amen.